currently fangirling about? Oh man, uh, I feel like I'm always fangirling something. Although usually, sometimes I'm also tired. I really, I really wish I could fangirl Willow, but I can't watch it anymore. So it's difficult to fangirl something when you don't have access to it. I had like a 24-hour period where I was like 22 hours of that. I was like a hardcore Willow fangirl. So I think right now it's mostly mostly books. The, the books that my friends are writing, romance novels, that kind of stuff. I haven't had like a real, a really immersive fandom experience in a while, but there's always Dragon Age and I, I do love Dragon Age a lot. Uh, it's a video game that's kind of like a super violent dating sim. I mean, that's how I play it. I'm sure you're <laughs> supposed to play it as like a RPG action something something, but really I just want to make friends and influence people. So that's also what I'm super fanish about usually is Dragon Age. Now with books, you mentioned you read a lot of your friends' books. What genres are your favorite? Uh, Definitely fantasy. Um, When I was younger, like in my 10, 11, 12-ish, I read a bunch of, you know, classic 90s and 80s fantasy. And then I realized that everybody who wrote those books, not everybody, but like many of the people who wrote those books are actually not great humans and the books are usually pretty misogynistic and really often racist and so I kind of fell out of adult fantasy for a while and YA had all the like new sort of inclusive stuff so I read a lot of that but now there's been this kind of resurgence in fantasy and when I say resurgence I mean female authored or not authored by white dudes basically and so I read those books predominantly now with the occasional YA because it's still fun and that's kind of where my focus has been the last few years. YA is always fun I feel like it doesn't really have an age limit it's always no it doesn't it absolutely does not. People are always like, this book is for teenagers. And I'm like, yeah, but it's still fun. I mean, you know what else is for teenagers? Star Wars. Yes. (laughs) I look at, I think of, um, I always think of Twilight. Like it became such a phenomenon among middle-aged women. That was the big thing, you know? Because it was fun. Because it was fun. It's fun. It's, it's escapism. It doesn't, there's no age or limit to it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So your newest novel is Crimson Climb and it is set within the Star Wars universe and it's yes. set for release on October 10th, which is very soon, very exciting. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about what to expect from the novel? Sure. So Crimson Climb, uh, as the title sort of suggests, is about Kira, um, who we met the first time in the solo movie. She's appeared in a couple of books, Most Wanted by Ray Carson and the solo novelization by Mer Lafferty. She's also been in a bunch of the comics that take place like in The Return of the Jedi era. Uh, Those are by Charles Soule and Greg Pak. And I am writing her during the solo movie. So it's basically after she and Han get separated, but before they come back together in the movie. So that that I think it's a three year period. And so it's basically her downfall in the white worms. And her recovery, I guess, for lack of a better term, it's not really much of a recovery in Crimson in Crimson Dawn with uh, Dryden Voss. So as an author, what is your process like of trying to capture a voice of a pre-existing canon character? Um, for Kira, it was interesting because I didn't have a ton of 
vocal stuff to work with. I like to have like the idea of the character and then also the literal voice. And I got super spoiled the first time, obviously, because I was working with Ashley Eckstein and she's amazing. So to get Kira's voice, I, um, I watched the solo movie a bunch of times. It's one of my, one of my favorites. So I, I watch it pretty frequently anyway. And then I watched other stuff that the actress is in because I wanted to sort of get an idea of her facial expressions. She doesn't, she has a very, very good stoic face in obviously Game of Thrones and in Terminator. And then I watched a few of her like more contemporary rom-coms because she has an amazing face. And I wanted to sort of get like her expressions and the way she sounds when she's laughing, even if she's not going to laugh very often and like that kind of stuff. And then for, uh, for Dryden Voss, uh, I watched a Knight's Tale like 14 billion times over the course of my life also recently. And then anytime I had to write one of his like scenes or speeches, I was basically like Chaucer, but make it evil. Um, <laughs> it so much fun. Like I kept having to be like, no, he can't be in this scene. He can't be in this scene. He don't need the whole book. <laughs> he can't be in the whole book, but he's so much fun. Uh, do you feel like the character sort of takes on a life of its own when you are enjoying it that much? Uh, sometimes, yeah. Not so much with Kira and Dryden Voss because they are, we know what happens to them and we know sort of how their stories go. But this book actually has the most original characters I've ever had to write for Star Wars. Ahsoka had a bunch, obviously. And then the Padme books had a lot of characters that I had to develop a lot, but the characters themselves already existed. And then Kira was basically like open season. Like uh, there's all kinds of new people in this one. And some of them did sort of take on their own voices. And all of a sudden, like this person is much more of a major player than I was expecting. And that's always fun because you get a lot of plot generation out of stuff like that when your characters go a little bit rogue and <laughs> decide to develop extra personality quirks and stuff like that. It's You could really get a lot of mileage out of them. So it was it was a lot of fun to encourage. That's a lot of fun. Were you a Star Wars fan before you were asked to start writing any of these novels? Yes. So I uh, frequently joke that I don't remember life before Star Wars. Uh, my brother is 10 years older than I am, and he is my enabler. Um, <laughs> so I probably would have been about like three-ish the first time I heard on vinyl the uh, Return of the Jedi. It was kind of like half audiobook, half cast play like part of it was narrated but part of it was the actual sounds from the movie on a literal record so um I got to to listen to that and then eventually did manage to watch the movies but I would always catch them on television because that's how we used to watch things back in the day so it was more of a I didn't always see the beginning like I don't think I saw the beginning of A New Hope the first like four or five times I watched it. It was always one of those things where it's the middle or the end, right? You can't yeah. like... <laughs> like, I don't think I saw the Tatooine parts for a while. So like, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know why this this child is so sad. <laughs> he just <laughs> flashed into the, into the universe. <laughs> yeah. What was, going back to Ahsoka a little bit, um, what was your knowledge of that character before you jumped into the novel? So I had watched the entirety of the Clone Wars as they existed at the time. When I started to write the Ahsoka book, I actually I had put off watching the Clone Wars for quite some time because I was like, they're going to make me like the clones and then I'm going to be sad. Yeah. And then I and then I started watching the Clone Wars. And in the very first episode, Yoda's like, take off your helmets. You're all individuals. And I'm like, oh, no. 
And it, it doesn't get any better from there. And then I got Ahsoka and I was just like horrified every time she's off on her own because you don't know what happens to her. And I was totally unspoiled. So I didn't know what was going to happen to her. And then I was about halfway through season four, I think. And I went to New York to meet with my editor at Disney Hyperion on A Thousand Nights, which was a different project I was working on at the time. Mike Siglane from Lucasfilm happened to be in the office that day. So we talked and on the plane on the way home, I was like, it's going to be Ahsoka. I, sh- I should finish the Clone Wars. <laughs> so I did. And then um, by the time I started writing the book, we were halfway through season two of Rebels. That's why I watched the Clone Wars, because I wanted to watch Rebels. That's right. I had a lot of catch up to do. So I plowed through the first season of Rebels and then watched season two of Rebels live. Then I got the Ahsoka parts of, of that as well. It, we basically got the part where like she and Ezra have their moment and like she walks off into the temple and Maul leaves and Vader leaves and Ezra and Kanan leave. And I set down my laptop and went on Twitter just in time for Star Wars to announce the book. <laughs> so it was an eventful morning. We had, to, we had to do it that day, the day of the finale, and not the day after the finale, because the day after the finale was April 1st. And they were like, we can't announce the first novel about this character and the first time she's appeared in a decade. We can't announce that on the 1st of April. It has to be on the 31st of March. <laughs> The whole fandom would think. Yeah, the whole fandom would light itself on fire. So we uh, we had to do it the day of the finale, not the day after. Wow, that's really exciting. Especially, like, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Rebels. And I think that they really do such an amazing job fleshing out this adult version of her. So I yeah. feel like maybe, so as an author, you know, yours, your book took place before Rebels. So how did yes. you kind of, like, how did you develop this intermittent version of her. I think that's where my career as a fan fiction author comes in handy. Um, Cause I'm very good at like putting characters out of their, if you'll excuse the term canon timeline, like at different points. And so like giving hints about what's coming without giving it away and that kind of thing. I did at the time I had seen what at the time was Dave Filoni's like pipe dream episodes, which would later be season seven. So I knew most of that, but I hadn't seen any artwork for it. I'd just seen like the episode breakdown. So that's basically what I was working with when I when I went to write the book. I had, you know, my first outline and they were like, you can't have any of those characters. <laughs> and then I was like, cool. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, so I, I you're going to have to tell me then like how she gets her crystals if we can't get it the way that I suggested. I guess I can talk about it now because he's actually in the show. So in my original proposal for the Ahsoka book, she goes to Ilum, realizes that it's too wrecked by the Empire for her to land on. And so, he, so she's like, who do I know that might still have access to crystals? And she comes up with the David Tennant droid. And then she's like, but how am I going to find that droid? I'm going to find somebody who knows how to find the droid. And then she goes to find Hondo. And so like, she has this like whole thing with Hondo and they were like, yeah, you can't have either of those characters. And so I was like, fine, I guess. And then I pretty much said like, you're going to have to tell me how she gets her crystals then, because I think Dave has like an idea. And so Dave was like, she gets them from an inquisitor. Right. And so we went back to building the book and at the time, so basically the first thing Dave told me was, you know, she goes to a planet and she meets like somebody there and then, you know, the Imperials show up. And so I had done this whole thing with, with the villain. And then when we, when Dave was like, what if she gets her crystals from the Inquisitor or from an Inquisitor, I made up an Inquisitor and added him to the book. So then there were two Imperials on the planet that you kind of had to watch out for. But that was fun too, because then you get to write like different kinds of evil, which is always fun. 
that was basically most of the outline that I got. The rest of it was kind of things I got to flesh out. And they love, one of the things I love about working with Story Group is that they're super encouraging. Like they want you to invent planets. They want you to invent species. They want you to like come up with all of these things, which was a little intimidating, I think, for my first time out to the point where like I wrote R2-D2 into the book without permission. And I was like, I really hope they let me keep them because <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do if I don't have R2-D2 in the scene. <laughs> But they did, so it was okay. So what something that I was super excited about as a fan was when Tales of the Jedi came out in episode six, which is called Life and Death, there are a lot of elements from your book incorporated into Ahsoka's past. So how did that feel as a creator seeing your story actually animated and brought to life? I think that's one of the cool things about working for Star Wars is that it is always such a collaborative experience. But at the same time, you don't have to worry about like complete adherence to a single thing. So like you get Dave's version of she goes to a planet, meets somebody, and then an Inquisitor shows up. And then you get my version of she goes to a planet and meets an Inquisitor or meets a person and then an Inquisitor shows up. And the two stories can exist because... You know, one of them is how I saw it. One of them is how Dave sees it. And because you can do things in animation that you can't do in print and vice versa, we kind of have that expanded version with multiple points of view, if you will, as to as to what's happening in the story. And that's always been one of my favorite things about working within the Star Wars universe is that sort of like, okay, what if we do this? Okay, what if we do this? Okay, what if we do this? And kind of working together. That's a lot of fun. It so- is. Besides being a published author and award-winning novelist, you were a forensic archaeologist. I was for a very brief period of time. Very brief period. Can you tell me just a little bit about your career and how you got from there to where you are today? So I got my master's in forensic archaeology uh, and graduated in uh, 2007, which was a really bad time to be applying to graduate school. It was a wonderful recession. And so I never did anything further academically. I was an archaeologist for a little while in Alberta, but it wasn't the kind of archaeology that I wanted to be doing. Also, it was a lot of walking around in the forest carrying 40 pounds of gear. So like, I wasn't super into it. (laughs) The study versus the practice. It's very different. (laughs) Yes. Like field archaeology, I like. That particular kind of field archaeology... Not so much. <laughs> and so when I came back, I was still kind of back from uh, Alberta, which was where I did the forestry archaeology. I, you know, I was still entertaining grad school as an idea. I was working a bunch of retail jobs. And since 2009, I had been actually writing novels. And before that, it had all been fan fiction. So uh, from 2002 on, it was fan fiction. And then 2009, I started writing novels. And then I just, I wrote a lot. Well, I was in Alberta because it was winter for most of the time I was there and uh, it just got dark at four o'clock. So, and I'm an introvert. So I stayed at home and I wrote a lot of sanctuary fan fiction and I met a lot of people and I really got good at writing that year, I feel like, which is also the year I wrote my first novel that got published. It was my third novel, but the other two are bad. <laughs> um, and so I, I kind of made the change and I feel like the difference between archaeology and writing a novel is not that different. In terms of making the jump in archaeology, you are given a bunch of things and you make a narrative out of it, you know, to the best of your ability and with what science you have and all that kind of stuff. But there is a quite a lot of piecing together of different parts of people's lives and different experiences and different scientific methods and all that kind of stuff to come up with with the story. 
I think that really lends itself well to writing a novel. Also, archaeology makes you really good at research and gives you a tremendously large knowledge base, both of which are very useful for writing books as well. Yeah, similarly, my background is in history. I have my my degrees in history, so it kind of does have similar aspects. And you know, you have to have these analytical skills, these research research skills. Excuse me. Yeah, and they do lend to the creative side. You know, outside of academia. Yes. And now you said you started off writing a lot of fan fiction. How did that help hone your skills later down the road? Um, I think two ways. Part of it is just volume. Like I wrote almost almost half a million words of fan fiction before I started writing original stories. Probably more than that, actually. Because that was when I was, I stopped counting word, I didn't take all of my ff.net stuff over to AO3 because the ff.net stuff is real bad. So my word, and then I stopped uploading to ff.net because we call it the pit of voles for a reason. Um, and so I, I don't have like an accurate number of how much fan fiction I've written over the years, but it's definitely over half a million. By the time I got to the Sanctuary fandom in 2010, I was, I had a pretty good community. We'd come up through Stargate and CSI, which were both very like fact-based and research-based. And then when we, when we got to Sanctuary, it was just all over the place in terms of history. So you got to be really good at one particular point in history, and then other people would ask you questions about it and all that kind of stuff. So in addition to sort of the volume that I was writing, I also developed a community of other writers that I could work with. Uh, they would Some of them would go on to become my critique partners, and they still are. And I also got a sense of how to write my, my one of my colleagues used to call it fun work because she'd be like, what are you doing this weekend? And I'd be like, oh, I'm running this thing on LiveJournal for like a writing thingy. And like people have to send in their entries and I have to write up all the descriptions and like make everybody's banners and stuff. And I also have to write my own story for it, which I'm super far behind on. And so it kind of got me used to thinking of writing as like something I blocked off time for, which became quite useful when it was something I was doing as my second job. And now that it's my only job, it's definitely something like knowing how to block off that time is really useful. Did you ever envision fan fiction being a stepping stone to your career now? Oh, absolutely. You know, I write, I still write fan fiction. I don't write a ton of fan fiction anymore, but I read a lot of it. It's definitely a step along the way in terms of writing. There has been a couple of cases where I've come up with like a really great idea for a fanfic and then been like, wait, I get paid to do this now. So I'll just like take the serial numbers off of it and throw it in the blender a couple of times and see what comes out the other side and maybe it'll be the book. That's how I got my book, That Inevitable Victorian Thing, which began life as a <laughs> as a AU of Pacific Rim and uh, Elizabeth Gaskell's North and South. And then it became this, this book instead, like all of the aliens are gone, but the sort of emotions that I felt with that fanfic are what came through in that inevitable Victorian thing. Right. I think, I think it's really great because fanfiction helps you get that inspiration. You know, sometimes you have, sometimes, I mean, at least for me, like I, I also, you know, enjoy writing. So at least for me, sometimes I have a hard time coming up with that initial idea. And sometimes fan fiction is great for that because you have a little bit of a structure to work with. So yes, it, you know, sure. it lets you kind of have a springboard. So what advice would you have for fan fiction writers? I think for fan fiction writers, it's the same as regular writers or writers, if you will, <laughs> um, which is to finish the stuff that you're working on. A lot of times people will be like, oh, I've started this, but I, I, you know, I've started 15 things, but like, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, we need to pick one of them and finish that one because you can't fix it if it's not done. 
And that's kind of the most important thing for fanfic writers specifically, I would say have fun. That's why you're doing fanfiction. Probably the hardest thing about being a professional writer is that it is my job. And I had to come up with another hobby because I wrote as a hobby like 25 hours a week. And all of a sudden it was my 40 hour day job and I needed a hobby <laughs> and I didn't have one for a while and it really sucked basic. So that's basically my, my advice to fan fiction is have as much fun as you possibly can. If you do make the switch to pro writing, continue to have fun, but also find a hobby because you need something that's not your job. Right. You know, I never even thought of it that way. That's really a great point that you're, you're yeah. writing fan fiction because obviously it's something you love. It's something that is inspiring you from something else, but majority of the time it's not your job. So what did you, what did you go into as far as hobbies when you started becoming a professional writer? For, well, as I said, for a while I didn't have one. And then I realized that reading was also my job. So that was two hobbies gone. <laughs> and then one thing I learned to do was I relearned how to read for fun, which helps. And then I also took up video games and cross stitch. So those are my, those are my hobbies. Now. Do you still and travel, I guess, and travel, which I could afford now, which I couldn't. Afford. Oh, where, where, well, I know you're going to be in New York next, next week for New York Comic Con. I'm in New York as well. I'm super excited about that. Have you uh, done New York Comic Con before? Uh, yes, I was there in 2016 and 2017. And what um, are, are you going to be on any panels? Uh, yes, I am on the Lucasfilm panel on Sunday. Okay. And then there's a signing directly after that. And that's all I know of my schedule so far because we're still putting it together. Hey, that's that's an, an exciting schedule to begin with. That's a great panel. Yeah, I will be on Instagram all weekend. So you'll be able to find me by my posts probably. What you kind of touched on this a little bit, but what advice would you have for people who want to turn their passions in general into a career? I think one of the things that's the most important is if you're coming up with a side hustle or if you are making something your making something your job is to make sure that you're willing to lose it in some way. Like if it's, you know, something that you do for fun, once it becomes your job, you're not going to be doing it for fun anymore. It becomes a little bit more stressful. It becomes, you know, something that's required and it's still fun. Like I love my job, but it's not the same as when I was writing fan fiction. And I think that that's sometimes something people don't realize, like that whole thing, like, oh, if you love your job, you'll never work a day. And you're like, no, you'll just work all the time, right? Like all the time. And it's important to have hobbies. So um, even if your downtime is enforced, like if you just like take three hours every day and watch your way through Disney animated movies until you come up with something better, it's really important to have that time away from your job because even though you still love it, it's, it's now got that additional pressure to it. So yeah, if you're going to, if you're going to turn something you love into your job, make sure you have something else that you love. Basically that's what it comes down to. Well, I think that's wonderful advice. And I think that's a great way to wrap us up for today. And thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me. And I really look forward to make, getting this interview out there. No problem. It was fun.